This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and our special guest, Greg Amsinger of MLB Network. The top 100 draft prospects list, depending on when you're listening to this, is out or soon to be out. And there will be the special MLB Network show, Top 100 Draft Prospects, airing on Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Then it'll re-air, I believe, at 1.30 a.m. that night slash Thursday morning. Then you can catch it a couple times on Saturday as well. So make sure you tune in and catch that. Jim, Jonathan, Greg, and Harold Reynolds will all be breaking down the 2022 draft list. Uh, So we were primarily going to focus on that. Uh, on today's podcast episode, a little bit later, we're also going to talk about uh, some of the youngest ranked pitching prospects on each team's top 30 prospects list. We're going to talk a little bit about Roland Heeman, a uh, baseball legend who uh, just recently passed away. And we will wrap up by answering a question, as we always do, in the mailbag. First of all, Greg Amsinger, thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I uh, just taped the uh, the big countdown show yesterday with Jonathan and Jim and Harold. We had a blast. I always look forward to doing those shows. Yeah, you guys seem like you always do have a blast. And I know um, in doing a little bit of research for this this podcast episode, that was one of the things that I read about you is, is uh, I think Harold in particular said that you just keep things lively on the set. Is that uh, what, how big of a part of your job is that? Well, you know, the way I look at it, the word flow is everything I care about. I want the show to flow because I feel like audibly is equally as important as the information that you're getting and the the, the visual stimulation of how the graphics and the video, all that look. So I I really want it to, to sound like a conversation, which is hard to do when it is contrived is it it is a plan you have a rundown you have producers they go through which guys you want to talk about i don't want it to come off that way i want it to come off as much more off the cuff even though people that are well versed in baseball content they know that we have a rundown they know that we have a plan but i just don't want it to feel that way i don't want to sound that way so my goal is to keep stirring the pot to get these guys to forget they're on tv I fail sometimes every once in a blue moon, I hit a home run and it ends up being a pretty fun TV show. So we had a good TV show yesterday for sure. Yeah, Greg, I think the one thing that I missed is, uh, you know, I, I like when we're all together because I think that's when we really can sort of play off each other a little more. We made the most of it, uh, you know, uh, some of it remotely. I, I guess the question I have, like, I know that you love the the draft. You love doing these shows. You love doing the draft. The biggest question that I have, which I've never been able to understand, is that people, I don't, people don't really get this, but on draft night, you do like that preview show, then we do the full length show. You don't move out of your chair for like 48 (laughs) straight hours. It's like social network kind of coding stuff. Uh, True or false, you have a catheter 
hooked up? Like what, what is going on there? How is that even possible? People have asked me this question before. Uh, no joke. I, I, I was blessed with the bladder of a camel. Apparently <laughs> I do not. I, I, so I believe in mental control. I, I can talk about a lot of philo philosophy in life and, you know, brain power and things like that. I'm into all of that. Uh, I, I don't believe in being cold. I think that's a decision you make being hot too hot is a decision that you make. I, will not ever take off my suit jacket in, in a hundred degree weather uh, because I am going to get acclimated and I'm going to get comfortable. You won't see me sweating in a hundred degrees. It's a mental decision that I make. So to go to the bathroom, I don't stop drinking. I have like two huge Trenta, Trenta Starbucks iced coffees uh, on the day of the draft. I am drinking them constantly and I will be sitting in that chair. I can't get up and move. There's too much traffic during commercial break, so I can't go anywhere. So I'm there for six and a half hours straight. And I'm not, I don't even, I've never even had to go to the bathroom. I've been hosting the draft for 13 years and I'm so Jeez, concerned with goodness. what's going on. I've never had to go. I'm not, I've never had to feel like I had to go to the bathroom. So I believe in mental control in a big way. And it works for me. I think it's a, I'm a weirdo guys, I'm totally weird. <laughs> and it works. we knew this. I, 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 I don't think, I think we've already peaked here in the podcast. I, I, I don't know if we'll be able to top that, but uh, my, my admiration for Greg is even higher now. But, but seriously, Greg, I mean, as you mentioned, we've been doing these shows now for, for 13 years. And one of the things that I just wanted to have our listeners understand is, and ask you is how much you love the draft. Because I remember, I was telling Jonathan before we, we started recording, I remember in 2010, so it was our second year of doing shows with MLB Network for the draft. And you were all, you were jacked up, Greg. You were asking me, I think I wrote in an Alex Wimmers scouting report and people probably don't remember Alex Wimmers, <laughs> who was a first round pick out of Ohio State as a pitcher. But do you remember what got you all excited about Alex Wimmers? Can you remember? I, I can't remember okay, why well, I was fired up. Anyway, I had written, he held the career batting average record at Moeller High, which is where Griffey and Larkin and Buddy Bell and all these big leaguers went. And you were like, really, you, you were asking me about that. You were really pumped up. And I was like, wow, he's not just you know, reading off a teleprompter, he cares. But I mean, how much, just tell everybody how much you enjoyed the draft. Because I, I think that enthusiasm comes through every year or, or not every year, multiple times a year when we do draft related shows. So as, as a young sports fan growing up, I, I was mesmerized by the draft and, and all sports because it's hard. I could tell, I always wanted to do this. I always wanted to work in television. I could tell it was a very difficult show to host. And I, I, had an opportunity to host at MLB network. No one seemed like they were pouncing on it in 2009. And I went to the executive producer at the time, John Entz, and I was like, look, I know I'm like the, one of the younger hosts here, but I would love to host the draft. And he's like, you're the only person that said that to me. Uh, you're in, you got the gig. And I just love the, the level of difficulty. Um, you know, when there's 30 seconds to go and I can't tee you guys up anymore because the commissioner is about to walk out. There's five seconds before the commissioner is going to walk out. I'm talking and talking and talking. And all of a sudden the commissioner hasn't walked out yet. They're still waiting. I can't tee you guys up again because you guys don't have the traffic I'm getting. So I am looking in a monitor to see an image walk over my shoulder. And I'm just talking and talking and talking and I'm just filling and it's verbal diarrhea until I see this man walk across the stage to the podium. And then I lay out that constant drill for six and a half hours to most people would be the equivalent of waterboarding to me i think that is such a fun puzzle to put together it, it's so difficult i enjoy it 
Uh, and it, it, I love ad libbing. I don't write any scripts. Um, I have scripts, obviously, for the draft, but for my normal show on MLB Tonight, I'm ad libbing everything. And uh, for the draft, I love the preparation. I remember uh, interviewing the, the voices of March Madness. This is one of my favorite interviews ever Billy Packer, Jim Nance, and, and Dick Enberg. And the late Dick Enberg said to me, my, his favorite part of March Madness was finding out which teams he would be calling in a regional. And he, he loved the research. And I was mesmerized by that. And now I understand why he said that. I love the research that is involved in the draft. I love getting to know these guys. And let's also keep in mind that my enthusiasm probably uh, goes all the way back to our first draft. We were all very nervous. We didn't know what it was going to be like in Studio 42. One kid showed up. One that? kid. And huh. he was from freaking New Jersey. And we're like, there's no chance this kid's going to go in the first round. We keep showing this poor kid. It ended up being Mike Trout. And I feel like the, the baseball gods and the TV gods got together and, and blessed MLB Network. And I've been enthusiastic about the draft ever since then. And guys, it has grown dramatically since that day. And I'm so proud of where it is now. And, and I know other drafts get a lot more attention, but my goodness, I think we put together a really good show. Every year, I'm so proud of how smooth our draft is. The best draft of all the sports. I really truly mean that and i'm proud to say i just have to interject real real quick because i i remember that first draft because i was the the sideline guy and uh you threw to me i mean i was about ready to ask mike trout what he ate for dinner that night like i was (laughs) i was out i was done and i was very grateful when the angels took him in in the first round so that's that's my memory of of that and and you know the constant trying to talk to mike trout who He's a very nice man, but you know he's not the most loquacious uh, guy we've ever we've ever had on set. So it was, and he was in high school, so it was right. it was a lot. But uh, but yes, that uh, got us going uh, in a hurry. I just wanted to interject that because that's my memory of the, our first draft together. And ha- having Greg on here, he's just an absolute pro. He's basically answering all the questions I had to ask him without even having to ask him the questions I wanted to ask. Like, you know, what's what do you think is more important to you? The, preparation or, or the ability to ad lib and then and before i even ask the question you're, <laughs> you're answering that question i was going to ask what your favorite draft moment was and you, you i think answered that with uh, the mike trout moment but so you guys have been working together now since 2009 that first draft i wanted to take a second here to see just how well jim and jonathan actually know greg so a little pipeline podcast pop quiz which our good friend danny g greatly dislikes but we're doing it anyway all right, here we go. Are we buzzing in or are you alternating? What are we doing here? You're buzzing in. Okay. Uh-oh. I will buzz. Many, Greg is one of how many siblings? This is embarrassing. Well, see, I kind of cheated because <laughs> I looked at Wikipedia. That's fine. I wanted to see where he went to school before we started. That's fine. You cheated. What's the answer? I believe he has six siblings. That's correct. <laughs> one of seven siblings, five brothers, one sister. Where was it was a large Greg? family. Yeah, huge, huge, huge family in St. Louis. Where, where uh, do you fall in the family order there, Greg? Uh, I, I'm second oldest, but, you know, I could always beat up my older brother, Joe. So I got the, cred, the, the street cred <laughs> from my siblings like I was the oldest. 
All right, where was Greg's first job out of college? I now, Jim, you cheated. You probably you saw this too, or can I get? Can I just let Jim answer this? This is terrible. <laughs> I, I don't remember. I, I okay. remember where he went to school. I'm not prepared for that question. Uh, so you probably one. remember it when I give you multiple choice. But Joplin, Missouri, Missoula, Montana, Terre Haute, Indiana, or Wheeling, West Virginia. It was Terre Haute because I remember uh, thinking of uh, Indiana State for some reason. You know why? I was very excited about Sean Manaya. There you go. Manaya was <laughs> coming out, and he was an Indiana State Sycamore. So yes, uh, you do Nicely remember done. that conversation. The, the most famous Indiana State Sycamore athlete of all time, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Larry Bird played baseball at Indiana State, and I Did think he? He, that's where he messed up his finger. Like I think he he got a ground ball, like broke his finger. Yeah, he played a game or two when he was at Indiana State. Wow. We okay. get Larry Bird on next time and ask him about that. Okay, next question. Which of the following has Greg not broadcast? Indoor professional football, paintball, roller derby, Tour de France, or the World Series of video games? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go with roller derby because I don't ever remember seeing roller derby on TV. I'm, I'm going to pick roller derby. <laughs> I'm going to pick paintball because for the same reason, I don't think I've ever seen paintball broadcast before. Oh, then you've missed out. Because, Greg, the correct answer. And to my knowledge, and maybe you have done this, but to my knowledge, the only thing on that list you have not broadcast is roller derby, but maybe you have. That is 100% correct. And Jonathan Mayo, shame on you for not watching the Collegiate Paintball Championships back in 2005, I believe. It was one of the great athletic moments I've ever seen. Let me just paint a picture for you. There are a bunch of deflatable uh, bunkers, okay, inflatable bunkers, and it's, it's it's capture the flag. It was Ohio State against Florida, the national championship. It's five on five, and it was four Ohio State Buckeyes left against one, the sniper, the guy who had the best shot. He was in the back row usually. Well, the sniper for Florida was six foot nine, 320 pounds. So they're peppering his bunker he's hiding behind with a bunch of paintball pellets. He jumps up out of nowhere. He's about to lose and runs. And with one shot on each guy, smashes him in the face with a pellet and wins the national championship. Does not, they, the, the referees come and check him. They missed him. Six foot nine, 320, was not hit by a drop of paint. It was one of the most dramatic, incredible athletic moments I've ever covered in my career. Wow. Is there a video of that? Can, when we're done with this podcast, who, who can we the watch video this somewhere? No, he there just painted. I want to hear. I want to hear Greg's call by his play-by-play -play call of this. Yeah, I my, go back my analyst was professional paintball player B. Youngs, and we went crazy when he did it. It was unbelievable. I'm looking forward to the movie version with Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller. <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. Okay, la last question for you guys, and this is not so much a question about Greg, but. Which player was Greg talking about when he recounted this memorable interview for Cardinals Magazine in 2016? This is when he was still in college at Lindenwood College, as you knew, Jim, or Lindenwood University now, I believe, and working at KMOX Radio. I interviewed Blank when he was traded to the Cardinals in 2000. I expected to see this chiseled, strong guy, and this dude is sitting in his locker stall, no shirt on, and drinking a bush light, and I'm thinking, wow, this is Blank, and he's not ripped at all. <laughs> He doesn't care what you think, just a man's man. I'm like, that's a baseball player. Was he talking about A, Will Clark, B, Jim Edmonds, C, Gary Gaetti, or D, Fernando Tatis? That sounds like Will Clark. Yeah, I'll go with Will Clark. Well done. That was Will Clark. I, gotta get, I had to get one right just to save yeah. face. 
It was unbelievable, guys. He crushed eight bush light before the scrum was over. I learned so much about college just from Will Clark in that one scrum interview. Unbelievable. All right, Greg, I want to I want to ask you to tell us um, about the craziest or funniest or weirdest, wildest moment that you've ever had on air. I know that it, I did college radio back uh, back in the 1900s in Missouri as well. I was at a homecoming football game at Central Methodist University in Fayette, Missouri. Uh, homecoming game there, all the pregame festivities, float circling around the track, homecoming candidates being paraded around. They go to start the game and there's a delay and nobody knows why. And somebody comes flying into the broadcast booth frantically, but trying to keep cool. You kind of tell that this guy was kind of trying to keep cool, but he was scared. And he's like, anyone in here licensed to referee college football games? <laughs> <laughs> the 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 conference had forgotten to to uh hi, to hire the referees for the game they had to cancel homecoming and play it that monday afternoon no way probably probably i wanted to buy you a little time there for you to come up with your with, with your craziest weirdest wildest broadcast experience you have you have something so for I, us? I feel like I, I i have a laundry list of moments but i will try to get it to just three Wild Card Wednesday, which was the last day of the regular season 2011, was the greatest night of television of my career. Every game mattered, and it proved why a show like MLB Tonight was important. Uh, it was just crazy. I felt like we were really having this moment with fans that, that made MLB Network incredibly significant. Uh, go back and just watch the last day of the regular season. You know, there are highlights everywhere. Evan Longoria was amazing. Um, I would also say there was a moment where I'm going to break and this was crazy. Harold Reynolds is sitting on a chair and there was a foul ball down the line of Wrigley field and an outfielder didn't catch the ball because there was a, a, a reliever sitting in a chair, not paying attention. And he kind of ran around him and the ball dropped. So we did this live look in and we had our analysts in studio 42 and I go, Harold, what should uh, the outfielder have done there and Harold sitting on a chair down the left field line of studio 42. And I don't think he truly knew what was about to happen to him. He was joking. He was like, well, what should happen is that that outfielder should have just trucked him right, right over him out of nowhere. Eric Burns lowers his shoulder and smokes Harold Reynolds on live TV. <laughs> Harold goes flying off the stairs. <laughs> He's completely and utterly stunned. And I get upset on live TV. And Eric Burns thinks it's funny. I'm like, Eric, you just crushed the face of our network. What is wrong with you? Like, I'm yelling at him because I forgot I was on TV. My friend just got smoked on live television. And it shouldn't have happened. It was crazy. So that was uh, number two on my list. Number three goes back to the first play-by-play -play game I ever did. It is, I'm doing high school football. Now, I went to college in the same town that I went to high school in. So it was Duchenne High School against St. Charles High, my alma mater. Opening kickoff, I'm so excited. It's my first game. I'm doing play-by-play -play for the college radio station. We're doing high school football. And I know my brother, Rich, is uh, a junior on the varsity football team. So I get to call my brother, Rich's first varsity game. And I'm in the booth, and he goes sprinting down the field, opening kickoff. The season has just started, okay? First kickoff, right? Everyone's standing up. They're all fired up. Packed house. 
My brother Rich outruns everyone trying to tackle the guy that catches the ball. This big dude turns around and levels my brother Rich, like flattens him. And the guy that catches the kickoff runs right over my brother Rich's spot, may have stepped on him, and runs <laughs> the ball all the way back 95 yards for a touchdown to start my broadcasting career. That was the first highlight, first moment I covered as a broadcaster was my brother Rich getting trampled in a high school football game. I love that your memories consist primarily of your, your friends and family getting run over. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes, it was like traumatic, I guess. I don't yeah, forget. clearly. I'm glad we could be here for you, a safe space where you could process all this. You know, you know I, I'm sitting here while he's telling these stories. I'm trying to find video of Eric Burns destroying Harold Reynolds. And that video has been taken down. But there's revenge. You know the revenge video part of this, Greg, where I guess a little bit later, uh, uh, Burn, uh, Harold was demonstrating how to what to do on a double play when Eric came in and he he hit Eric Burns in the groin area with the baseball. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was dirty. But I knew it was coming. I think Eric Burns knew it was coming. He laid there for a while, but he didn't get mad about it because he knew he, he deserved it. <laughs> we need to find video of this. We are, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, you know, the primary reason we have Greg on the show today is we want to talk about this top 100 draft prospects list. We are going to do an experts draft with Greg, Jim, and Jonathan. They are going to select who they would pick. Uh, we're going to give Greg the number one overall pick. We're going to do that when we come back next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and Greg Amsinger of the MLB Network. We're talking top 2022 MLB draft prospects, new list out, show out on MLB Network, and we're going to do an experts draft Uh Greg will pick first, followed by Jim, followed by Jonathan. We're going to go five rounds uh, working off of the 2022 top 100 draft prospects list. Greg, you had uh, a losing season last year, uh, so you get the number <laughs> one overall pick this year. This is a very enticing list, especially at the top. Who are you going to take? I, I like young players who I feel safe about. I'm a big believer in short arms. I don't know why I, I guys with stubby arms are always uh, they find the barrel better. The longer swings I stay away from. That's why I'm taking Tamar Johnson with the number one pick in this draft. I think this five foot 10 left-handed bat is going to produce. He's going to get to the big leagues at the age of 21. And to me, he's a surefire big league hitter. I don't care where he plays in the infield. He's a big league hitter and he'll be my number one pick. Wow. Going with the short armed. Termar Johnson, guys, you're going to have to rework your uh, a blurb to get that in there. Uh, who, who, was the, who was the major league hitter who was sort of famous for having short arms? Am I? There's only one. Uh, well, I don't. Was know. he Altuve has short arms? 
He certainly does. All right. So yes, he does. Jamar Johnson, a fantastic pick. 17 years old, one of the younger players uh, on this top 100 draft, uh, draft prospects list. All right, Tamar Johnson off the board to Greg. Jim, you are on the clock. I felt like I kind of had the easiest pick here because much like Jonathan and I were torn as to who should be number one, it came down to two guys when we did the list. Um, and so I knew I was taking either Termar Johnson or Drew Jones. Termar is probably the best high school hitter in years. Drew Jones has more well-rounded tool base. He's very similar to his dad, Andrew. And when all is said and done, uh, Drew Jones could be a, a 60 hitter, 60 power, 70 runs, 70 arms, 70 center fielder. He's pretty exciting ceiling. So I will take Drew Jones at number two. And I think Jonathan should take a Georgia high school player also with the third pick just to keep this going. All right, Jonathan, you're on the well, clock. Has, has Jim made your pick for you? Uh, no, I, I will take a high school player. He is not, however, uh, in Georgia. Uh, he is in Florida. Uh, I'm going to take Elijah Green, and there is some risk, um, you know, uh, to Greg's point. You know, there are some swing and miss concerns with Elijah Green, but he also has, uh, I think, the highest ceiling uh, of any of these three uh, high schoolers uh, that we're talking about right here. Uh, you know, we're talking plus defense and center field, plus speed, close to top of the scale speed. He has ridiculous raw power, and it's just going to be a question uh, of him refining his approach at the plate to get to it. And it shows up. This isn't just a batting practice player. This is a guy who, who's got a, a lot of power, and uh, he's just going to have to go out and, and show uh, that there isn't too much swing and miss. I mean, these days, no one seems to care whether you strike out a good amount uh, as long as you get to that power uh, and the power and speed is going to play. So I'm happy to get Elijah Green and he's at IMG Academy in Florida. All right. So our first round, we see three high school hitters off the board and Greg, first pick of the second round. I'm going to shock my expert friends. I'm going to go with my favorite player. And this is, I know I love to, Tamar clearly has the biggest upside. I am taking Jace Young. Uh, he's a third baseman slash second baseman from Texas Tech. I'm a big fan of younger brothers of other big leaguers, of, of other guys that are good players. And this is a, a younger brother who I think to me is the next Max Muncy. He's that talented of a hitter. I love watching video of his swing. I think he gives you a bit more athleticism in terms of defensive versatility. He can legit play second base, I think, and third base. I want a surefire big leaguer. I think Jace Young is a surefire big leaguer. I'm taking him with my second pick. I like that pick, Greg. Do you think that like a young Greg Amsinger, Jace Young used to terrorize Josh Young in the same household and established his superiority, even though he was not the oldest brother? I don't think so, because his older brother is actually bigger, like a big dude. And my older brother, I love my brother, Joe. He's like, where's Waldo? Very, very skinny. And I, I always weighed more than him. I was just, I'm large. And uh, I could, I could kind of muscle him around. I will, I will think, I will say this. I don't have the grit that Jace has because when you have an older brother that pushes you around, it teaches you grit. And that's the one thing kids today are missing. So I, I think the grittiness of being that younger brother, it pays off. A lot of our friends our younger brothers. I mean, Harold Reynolds was the youngest. Uh, Al Leiter was the youngest. Dan Plesak had an older brother that was in minor league baseball, that he was the original stud. The younger brother thing matters. So I like Jace Young a lot. 
I like that. I like that. I'm going to stay on the same thing. I feel like I'm just copying Greg and following his lead here. I am going to take a guy who I hope winds up at third base, but who I think is the best all around college offensive player. That's Jacob Berry. He's transferred from Arizona to LSU. He hits for average. He hits for power. He draws walks. He hits all types of pitching. He's a switch hitter who's productive from both sides of the plate. I got a Greg loves his comps. I got a Andrew Vaughn, switch hitting Andrew Vaughn comp on Jacob mm-hmm. Berry. Maybe he winds up in the outfield. Maybe he winds up at first base. The guy's going to rake. So I'm taking Jacob Berry uh, with the fifth overall pick in this draft. All right. I'm going to break the string here and not follow suit. You know, I feel like I could take a college bat, but you know what? I'm, I'm going high school arm here. I'm going to take Dylan Lesko the right-hander from, from the Georgia prep ranks. Uh, he's the best pitcher in the class. Uh, I think he has a chance to, to be a frontline starter when all is said and done. Uh, if he, if you weren't a high school right-hander, uh, you know, you might even hear about him, you know, at the very top of the draft, but since that's never happened, uh, you know, I don't think it, uh, it this is going to be the year because uh, this is a very hitting uh, heavy draft class, especially at the top. But uh, I don't want to wait because I'm afraid that he would be, he would have been gone with my next pick and uh, just the the ceiling and the field for pitching, uh, you know, makes him the, the standout uh, pitcher in this class by far. All right, first pitcher off the board. We go to round three. Greg, back on the clock. So this this again, I, I'm going with my favorite guys, and I want guys that I know will play in the big leagues. And uh, I'm going with with a shortstop, Carter Young, who I do not think will play shortstop in the big leagues. He'll play some shortstop. Uh, But to me, the bat, I love it. He put on a considerable amount of of, of strength since he showed up in college at Vanderbilt. Uh, I think his upside is dramatically higher than even a Dansby Swanson, who was the number one pick. I love his athleticism. I love his ability to play multiple different positions. Uh, to me, I could see this guy who's not huge, six foot, like 185, 180 pounds. I could see him being a little bigger version of Francisco Lindor offensively and giving you the Ben Zobris glove defensively all over the diamond. I love this kid. I think he's terrific and his makeup's great. Yeah, he swings and misses, strikes out a lot, but I'm taking him with my third selection. I like, you know, oh. what I like, I like about this. I like Greg's picking his favorite players. 84 strike. I'm going to question the pick a little bit, Greg. I think you could have waited maybe till your fifth pick to get Carter Young, but I, I like the gusto. Um, I'm going to go college. See, I'm just copying Greg. I'm going to go college shortstop. The third straight time, I'm going to mirror Greg's pick. I'm going to take Brooks Lee out of Cal Poly. He's arguably the best pure hitter on the college side. He's going to have some power as well. I, I think he could be a 2025 home run guy. Great in the Cape Cod League last year. Um, you know, a little question. I probably not a shortstop. He doesn't have that that classic shortstop quickness. He's got a strong arm. I think he winds up at second base, third base. He's one of these guys who grew up around the game. You know, his dad's the coach. His dad Larry's the coach. Cal Poly. So I, I really like Brooks Lee here with my third pick. All right, I, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go college bat here. I like uh, I like athletes. So I you know so if you can find a, a college player with upside and ceiling, then I'm going to do this. So I'm going to take Brock Jones from Stanford. Uh, you know, went to Stanford as a two sport guy, uh, played a year of football, uh, mostly on special teams uh, before starting to focus on baseball, took a, a big step forward last year uh, as he started to focus more. But uh, uh, not only does he have you know, premium athleticism, 
Uh, can go get the ball in center field. He's got a ton of power, but he brings that football mentality also. Uh, you know, he'd run through a, a wall to help you win. And, uh, you know, that's what you need to win championships. So Brock Jones is my guy in this round. All right. You are listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. We are doing an experts draft for the 2022 draft with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and Greg Amstinger. We are through three rounds. You should probably note here that. Greg is doing this from memory. He, he, Jim and Jonathan have the benefit of having, having everything out in front of them. Greg's doing this on his phone from memory based on his prep for the show, which is pretty incredible. And Greg, you're up in round four. Well, it's funny because I, I, as I get ready for a show, I usually have a list of 10 guys that I remember that I are my favorite when I watch the video of all these players. This, to me, my next pick, my fourth pick, is the best catcher in this class of all the guys I saw. It's another younger brother of a big leaguer, which matters. Daniel Susak, love this kid, Arizona Wildcat. He's big, 6'4", 205. He reminds me, here's your comp, Tyler Stevenson, who I think is becoming an emerging star with the Cincinnati Reds. Great. Big, strong, leader behind the plate. Uh, I love his bat. I think his bat's for real. He's going to hit. So I think he stays behind the plate. The tall six foot four thing, I don't think the switch hitting is going to stay. I think he's a, a right-handed bat in the big leagues. I'm taking him. I'm taking the younger brother of Andrew Susak. Daniel Susak is my fourth pick. You're prescient. I'll just jump in for a second because I wrote up Daniel Susak. He, he's pretty much given up hitting left-handed. So, uh, you know, you, that's you good. Won't, I'm happy about that. Yeah, you won't see him. You probably won't see him hit left-handed this spring. I think he's. A, I think he could be a middle-of-the-order bat. That's how much I like the way this mm -hmm. kid swing looks from the right side. All right, Jim, you're up. I'm going to go with Chase DeWater, uh, outfielder out of James Madison. Really intrigued me. You know, he, I think he'd be a little bit more famous, but James Madison only played a half schedule last year. And so even though he had a great year, he, he only played 28 games. And they went to the Cape Cod League, tied for the leading homers, led the Cape Cod League in slugging. You know, the, the left-handed power is his most attractive tool, but he's a six foot four, 235 pound athlete. He's got a really disciplined approach. So I think he's going to hit runs well for his size. He's got a chance to stay in center because he's a solid runner. He's got a strong arm, so he can definitely play right. I, I just think, you know, I think he's, I think he might be the, the, I'm not saying he's going to go number one overall, but he's kind of the, the sleeper pick to me of the guy who is probably getting the least play to who could go number one. But could go number one in the end. So I will take Chase DeLauder here with the with I guess it's what the my fourth pick and the eleventh pick overall in this draft. All right, so Jonathan. Yeah, I have I have Greg in my brain right now. He's talking about Tamar Johnson and and uh, you know wanting guys who hit. So I'm going to take the guy who I think is still on the board who has the best chance to be a plus hitter. Uh, and that's Cam Collier. That's Luke Collier's son. Plus, you know, the MLB bloodlines are always a good thing. He is super young uh, because he reclassified. So he'll, uh, I think he'll still only be 17 at the time of the draft. He'll be attending Chipola Junior College, one of the better junior college programs in the country. He can flat out hit uh, all fields. There's going to be power to come, but he doesn't sell out for power. Doesn't swing and miss that much. He's got a plus arm. I think he's going to look really good at third base at the next level. Uh, you know, he's, he's pretty athletic. Uh, so I think he'll do a good job at, at third, but it's really that bat, uh, that I'm buying here in round four. All right. And that ends round four. We go on to the final round, only one pitcher off the board, which I guess is not much of a surprise considering there's only one pitcher in the top 12 on the top 100 draft prospects list. Are we going to have a run on pitchers here in the final round? I am definitely leading, uh, the, the fifth round 
with a pitcher. And to me, it's the it's a gamble, but it's worth taking. I'm going Kumar Rocker. That's my fifth pick. I love Kumar Rocker. I like guys that have uh, an edge, guys that are out to prove something. Worst case scenario, he's definitely going to be in the big leagues. In my opinion, yeah, there's concern, the shoulder, the elbow. He'll eventually be in the big leagues, and he might be a reliever. But 100 with a nasty slider, I'll take it as reliever. Uh, but I, I, I'm banking on my medical staff getting this guy ready to go and being in my rotation. You can't teach size, deception, and stuff. And, man, he loves to compete. Kumar Rocker is my fifth and final selection. I like it. I like it. I, I am going to go pitcher as well. I'm going to go pitcher with, with physical questions also. Um, I will say, Jonathan, I love the Cam Collier pick. I was going to take Cam Collier in this round where he's still there. I, I would, but I will, I will go Connor Prelip, University of Alabama left-hander. Uh, I, I, if this guy was healthy and, and he's coming back from Tommy John surgery, Tommy John surgery last May, so at least we know what he's dealing with. I think we'd be talking about him as a potential number one overall pick. He's got, you know, one of the best sliders in the college class. It's mid eighties with two plane break. It's up to 90 miles an hour. He's got a fastball that, that gets up to 95 miles an hour with running downhill plane. If he comes back like a lot of guys after rehabbing the Tommy John surgery and is throwing even harder, that's all the better. He's got feel for changeup. He's athletic. He puts his pitches wherever he wants. It's stuff. It's, it's control. It's command. Uh, six foot two. I really like Connor Prelip. So I, I will take Connor Prelip and bank on a full return to health from Tommy John surgery. All right, Jonathan, final pick. Of the yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to prove you Jason to have been very prescient. I am going to take uh, a pitcher, but I'm going to take my second straight high school arm. I'm going to take Jackson Ferris high school lefty uh, from Florida uh, six foot, 490 pounds. He's going to fill out that frame. He's going to throw even harder. And he's already up to 95 with good life with his fastball. He has a chance to have three plus pitches. It's uh, almost a old fashioned 12 to six curve. He's got a really good feel for, for his changeup. Um, like I said, there's projection. He's going to get seen a lot. He's at IMG Academy also. So I think scouts are going to come in, you know, they're going to see Elijah green. They're going to see Jackson Ferris pitch against really good competition. And I think he is going to, kind of keep rising, uh, rising up the ranks. Uh, so uh, I could see him sneaking into, you know, into a top 10 uh, when all is said and done over the course of a, of a full spring. So I'll close things out with the, with the high school Southpaw. All right, there we have it. Our experts draft the top 15 picks of the 2022 draft. Well, check back in what about 20 years and see who came out on top <laughs> in this exercise, put that in your uh, calendars. Hey, Greg, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, always uh, enjoy watching you guys work together on the draft and on the, everything that goes into it. Uh, we really appreciate the time today. Well, hey, listen, I, thanks for the invite. I love talking about this stuff. Uh, you know, amateur baseball, the future of the game. It's so exciting. And Jonathan and Jim are the best in the business at it. So it was, it was a great, great time. I thoroughly enjoyed it. All right, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss some of the youngest pitching prospects on each team's top 30 prospects list. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. 
Adidas. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. We have now lost Greg Amsinger, but what a pleasure it was talking to him and listening to some of his tales. Um, Guys, we've been talking about a lot of young players, 2022 draft prospects. Uh, We'll continue along that theme, though no longer uh, necessarily. We're not going to be talking about this year's draft prospects, but we are going to be looking at some of the youngest ranked pitching prospects in baseball, uh, last week we discussed and had a story looking at each team's youngest ranked hitting prospect. And now we turn to the mound and look at each team's youngest ranked pitching prospect. And we will highlight a couple here. Uh, Jim and Jonathan talk about a couple of guys each. And Jonathan, why don't you start? Uh, where do you want to go? Carter Baumler? Chase yeah. Petty? No, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Carter Baumler uh, with the Orioles. I feel like when we talk about the Orioles system, which obviously is uh, a really good one right now, we tend to talk about the advanced bats. Uh, you know, we talked with Brad Selick, their scouting director, in last week's podcast. You know, they've taken three straight college bats. Adley Rushman is the number one prospect in baseball. So we don't talk that much about the arms in the system, and uh, there aren't as many, but. Uh, Carter Baumler is kind of uh, interesting to me uh, because he was one of the guys that the Orioles went over slot to sign when they took Heston Kerstad number two overall that gave them some flexibility in the in the shortened draft and they took Baumler in the fifth round and gave him a million and a half dollars uh, to sign. We're gonna have to wait a little bit to kind of see what he's really about. Uh, you know, he was really good at instructs last fall, but then he blew out his elbow and he had Tommy John surgery. Um, but he's super athletic. He used to play football. Uh, you know, he's got a chance to have two plus pitches, maybe three above average, uh, pitches with his fastball, uh, his curve. He's got a good feel for a changeup, which is developing. He can throw them for strikes. Uh, the delivery works, you know, he just needs to get, uh, get healthy. Um, as a guy, he was a kicker and a punter, um, and and a, was also a two way guy in high school. So I, you know, an athletic guy in the mound. You know, I think he's going to come back, and we're going to you know get a chance to see what he's really about once he is fully rehabbed from the elbow surgery. All right, Jim, uh, I didn't cross reference the four guys that you uh, that the two of you were talking about today, but. Is Daniel Espino the highest ranked of the four on the team's top 30 prospects list? Yeah, uh, yes, I think so. He's he's on the top 100, actually. So, yes. Yeah, yes. Um, I'm not sure how many top 100 guys are in the story overall. It's like, it's interesting. I noticed the contrast. When we did the hitters last week, almost all the guys, except for Blaze Jordan, who reclassified and was, certain, was very young, were guys who were signed internationally, Mm-hmm. Most of them in January, or were drafted out of this year's draft, but because pitchers generally don't get signed at age 16, most of your better international pitchers are signed later, and there aren't that many, you know, 16 year old pitchers commanding top bonuses. It seems like the pitchers, and I haven't done the math, but the pitchers are definitely older. They come from previous drafts. You know, there aren't necessarily a lot of high school pitchers signing after the first few rounds. Uh, most of them get seven-figure bonuses if they're going to sign. So it, that that was interesting to me. But yeah, I went with the Spino. He was first-round pick in 2019. 
because of the coronavirus pandemic, he didn't make his full season debut until this year. But he's pretty spectacular. He struck out 152 guys in 91 and two thirds innings uh, between two A ball stops. The first, um, you know, very, very advanced guy. He was the first high school the Indians had pitch or, 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 I'm sorry, play in short season ball. In the summer, he made his debut in since Francisco Lindor. You know, he's up to 100 miles an hour with his fastball. It, it's got a lot of life on it. He's got power breaking balls. He has a, a slider. He's got a curveball. Working on a changeup. I mean, he's, you know, but he's, he definitely is more, he's not one of these guys who's more thrower than pitcher. I mean, he, he throws a reasonable amount of strikes. It's really electric stuff. One of the more electric arms in the minors. And, you know, I think we've talked on podcasts recently about how, you know, who's the best pitching prospect, who are the best pitching prospects in the minors. It, it, you know, it seems like that's constantly changing. A lot of the guys aren't necessarily panning out. They're getting hurt. I wouldn't be shocked if a year from now, Daniel Espino ranks is one of the best pitching prospects in all of baseball. Cause he's, he's got one of the most electric arms in the minors. All right, Jonathan. And next up for you, Chase Petty of the twins, uh, a guy who we have a, an ETA of 2025. I know it's, it's crazy. His birthday's in 2003, right? So he's speaking of electric arms, slightly undersized, you know, frames and things like that, but, you know, first round pick just in this last draft, uh, it was at the draft. So it was fun to, to see him there from, from New Jersey, uh, which always makes me feel good as someone who grew up, uh, in the garden state. Um, you know, he, he barely got his feet wet in the Florida complex league. Uh, so there's nothing really to tell from that, but, uh, the arm strength is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he's a guy who can touch triple digits sits in the upper nineties. Uh, he's got an upper 80 slider, uh, that plays off the fastball really well. Um, you, you know, uh, misses a lot of bats, even he's got good feel for a change. It can be a little too firm. Everything he throws is hard, uh, but it, he has a feel for it. So I think that it's going to come, you know, there's a little reliever risk uh, just because there's some effort and he's not the biggest guy in the world. Uh, the command, you know, is, is something that is, was questioned leading, you know, into, into the draft, but uh, you know, against good competition, like on the summer showcase circuit, uh, brief sample size as a pro, like he, he finds the strike zone. So, uh, we'll have to wait and see how he develops and what happens over the course of a full season. Uh, but a really exciting uh, electric arm, albeit in a slightly smaller package. And uh, we go from a slightly smaller package and someone you described as not the biggest guy in the world to uh, a guy the biggest very, guy in the world, <laughs> the biggest guy in the world, Yuri Perez. Yeah. You know, Yuri Perez fascinates me. You know, I, I was say, talking about how you don't see a lot of 16 year old pitchers get signed he did get signed at age 16. He wasn't a big ticket guy. He was $200,000 out of the Dominican Republic in, in 2019 by the Marlins. And he was 6'4", 155 at age 16. And he's now 6'8", 200. Um, maybe he's still growing because he's still only 18 years old. But he was a guy who's not really on my radar until I was doing some instructional league stuff last year. Uh, we, we did a bunch of instructional league coverage because – there wasn't a minor league season and he was the most impressive pitcher in Marlins camp. And the thing, you know, when you see a, an 18 year old who's that, that tall and that skinny and he's not, you know, nearly as physically strong as he's going to be. A lot of times those guys have trouble keeping all their long limbs in sync and throwing strikes, but he's, he's pretty advanced. He's amazing body control. He pounds the strike zone. 
He made his debut this year at age 18, pitched so well. He, he made up to high A by the end of the year and, and just video game numbers, 78 innings, 108 strikeouts, 26 walks, opponents hit 158 against him. Obviously he creates a lot of angle. Um, his fastball has gone from the mid eighties when the Marlins first scouted him to, to up to 97 this season, you know, sits at 91, 95. There's, there's obviously a lot more projection in there. Um, he's got feel for spinning a curve. He's got aptitude for using a changeup. He throws with almost, you know, very little effort and he doesn't really seem phased by anything. He throws strikes, you know, virtually every hitter in pro ball he's faced has been older than him and, and he's had a lot of success. So I, I think he's not on the top 100 prospects list yet. But, but there's another guy who I think is going to be upwardly mobile. And if he continues to pitch like he did this year, I think he'll be on the top 100 prospects list at some point next year. All right. Those are four of the 30 young hurlers that you can see in our story that will be up uh, later this week on MLB.com slash pipeline. The youngest ranked pitching prospect for each team. All right, guys. Uh, this week, uh, the passing of a true baseball legend. Um, I don't know that in in all of my days of working in baseball, if I can recall many people who were as universally loved as Roland Heeman. Uh, I remember that I remember you know hearing about his name from when I first started working in baseball. And the funny thing about it to me was he seemed to be so revered and so respected and so loved that I think for a long time, I didn't actually realize what he had done in the game because whenever you heard about him, it was just, that's what you heard. Like everybody loves Roland Amon. Um, and I know that uh, you two are certainly no exceptions. I, I don't even know where to start to, to be honest with you. I think, you know, what's, so amazing about Roland, uh, you know, just in all the things he said are true to have a guy who was so revered and so approachable at the same time, you know, people have asked sort of like your favorite Roland human stories. I, I don't have any like incredible tales. And if you, if you read the story that Scott Merkin wrote, um, you know, about his passing and all the things he did. And, you know, when he was a general manager and going to the upper deck and shaking all the ushers hands in the upper deck and things of that nature, it, it didn't matter if you were a superstar, a general manager, uh, a reporter just starting out, uh, he would have time for you. And that's the thing that I, I remember, I, you know, I had countless conversations with him, uh, at the Arizona fall league, which he's, you know, rightfully given credit for being the architect of, um, and he loved the fall league, uh, and he loved talking about the fall league and telling stories about it, you know, or, and I would run into him at the winter meetings, you know, at times. And it was, you know, his, his wealth of knowledge just from his own lived experience in the game. Uh, I don't think you, you know, it's, it's unparalleled, you know, and the amount of people who he came in contact with, who he helped, uh, I, I don't, I don't know that we'll ever be able to fully, quantify his impact uh it, it's run so deep over the the enormous length of his incredibly rich career in life yeah i mean i i, I tweeted yesterday i don't i don't a i don't <laughs> i don't think anybody is more universally beloved than, than roland was in baseball I, I i don't think you could find anybody to say a bad word about him i, I tweeted yesterday he may have helped more people get jobs than anybody in baseball history. And if you just want to talk about people he helped beside, beyond that, I mean, he helped set up a foundation 
to provide financial financial assistance to scouts who fell in hard times. He convinced the baseball owners single-handedly, he gets credit for this, to approve a pension plan for non-uniform personnel, which he later called his great, greatest contribution to sport. He is was president of an association that helped provide scholarships to former players and other players connected with the game to get their college degrees, um, which he was very proud of. I, I, I talked to Roland about that on numerous occasions. Um, you know, and, and you know, I, it, it, I mean, for it, it, that stuff, and I think rightfully, oh, outshines like his baseball career. But his baseball career was pretty, mm-hmm. you know, crazy impressive too. I mean, he was an assistant, I think, farm and scouting director with the Milwaukee Braves. When, you know, he was there when they won the, the championship in 1957. He was a scouting director with the Los Angeles Angels. And in fact, he was the guy, I mean, obviously with ownership's approval, who signed Rick Reichert for $205,000 in 1964, which was kind of the final straw that brought along the draft. He became general manager of the White Sox, uh, the Orioles. He helped build Diamondbacks. Um, he went back to the White Sox again. I remember seeing him after the White Sox won the World Series in 2005. I think the way it went, if I remember this correctly, didn't they win an extra inning game that went really long and then win another game later that same day? Anyway, they, they won the World Series, I believe, on Roland's birthday. So he thought that was pretty cool. Um, so he had an amazing baseball career. I mean, he helped build the Diamondbacks, even though he left a year before they won the World Series, or he would have been part of a World Series championship with three different clubs. But as amazing as that baseball career was in terms of, you know, you know what clubs did on the diamond, I think he's going to be remembered for, I mean, I was going to say he's helped thousands of people. I mean, he literally might have helped 10,000 people, whether it was, you know, like I said, with getting jobs or, you know, you needed some financial assistance or getting a college degree. Um, he was he was super helpful to Alan Simpson when Alan Simpson was starting Baseball America in the early 80s. I mean, he just, I, you know, I don't think he ever stopped learning. And he was always very, very encouraging and helpful to to anyone who came in contact with him. And uh, to tie uh, together our two most recent podcasts now, Brad Selick, uh, the Orioles scouting director, uh, who was with us just last week, Jim, you're talking about the many, many people that Roland Heeman helped. And I don't know whether he specifically helped uh, Brad Selig, but I, I did read a story, and you guys may have read this uh, in The Athletic as well, uh, where Brad's dad was remembering hearing Roland uh, speak at Sox Fest, and Brad grew up outside of Chicago, and they went and uh, and... Brad's dad was recalling that some fans were hanging around to talk to Roland afterwards and get pictures and autographs. And Brad stuck around uh, for like 20 minutes and he had a handwritten note that he wanted to give Roland Heeman that basically just said, what do I need to do to get into, into the baseball business as a, like a 14 or 15 year old kid. And uh, you know, may not have even realized then uh, that he was going to the perfect place. And the perfect <laughs> that would be the guy to talk to. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, our condolences to uh, the Heeman family and friends. Uh, just a, a titan of baseball. Um, all right. We want to wrap up here by answering a question from the mailbag. This comes from Kyle Weatherly at Kyle Weatherly Six is the Twitter handle. 
And Kyle says, I noticed there are only four third base prospects currently on the top 100 prospects list. And one of those I think may fall off the list. So are there any current third base prospects or third base prospects in the upcoming draft that may make the top 100 prospects list? Jim, you want to go first? Sure. Um, you know, I'm actually more intrigued. I, I, I will I will answer half the question, Jonathan. I will leave you the other half. I am I am probably more intrigued by the draft third baseman. That's fair. Than I am by you know the minor league third baseman. I, I I do like Miguel Vargas a little bit, but I think Jacob Berry, who we talked about when we were drafting players with Greg, I, I think he's the best offensive player in college baseball. I don't know if he sticks at third base. I think he'll probably break into pro balls at third baseman. I think he will he will jump onto the top 100 when he signs. You know, Jace Young is probably going to play second at Texas Tech. He could wind up at third base. You know, he's a real interesting guy. You know, as I mentioned, Jonathan, I loved your pick of Cam Collier. I, I could see Cam Collier making the mm-hmm. top 100 pretty quickly, too. And, and I'd also keep an eye. On, I'll give you a couple more guys who are, who are outside the first round right now but could play their way in. Caden Wallace at Arkansas has got a chance to stick at third base and Peyton Graham at Oklahoma, who's a shortstop now and probably is the third baseman. So I, I think there's a number of third, Nolan McLean, Oklahoma state's another guy I like, and, there, and there's even, I, I will stop now. Tucker Toman will be the last guy I'll mention in high school. There are a ton of third basemen in this draft who can hit. Um, so I, I think this year's draft, if we look up a year, 18 months after the draft, we'll have several representatives on the top 100 prospects list. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is my own fault. I let you go first, so you're like, you took the most intriguing part. Brooks Lee, by the way, I think will probably be at third. He could wind up there too. You're right. Yeah, I think he's in there, but third base. I don't think there are that many guys on the pro side. You mentioned uh, Miguel Vargas, uh, Jake Weatherly said, you know, I, I, the guy he's referring to dropping off the top 100 might be Nolan Jones. There aren't that many other. I'll throw one out there, and only because. I brought him up before, I think a few podcasts ago, we answered a question about maybe it was guys who perform well in the fall league who could jump onto the top 100. And uh, I don't know if Ezekiel Duran ends up being an everyday third baseman, uh, the Rangers prospect, but uh, he played a lot of third in the fall league. Um, You know, he ended up uh, making... He was number 15 on our AFL Top 25. Uh, obviously had a really good fall league coming off of a year where he uh, almost had a 2020 regular season. He is the one guy who, if he is going to be playing third, um, then I would consider him for at least the top 10 third baseman list. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I guess, double down on what I had said at the time when we answered that earlier question, that he's he's someone of interest to me as a potential top 100 talent, uh, without trying to sort of put too much weight on on an Arizona Fall League performance. All right, thanks to Kyle Weatherly for that question. Thanks very much to Greg Amsinger of MLB Network for joining us here on the podcast today. That's going to do it for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.